Welcome to Steve Oaken, McClarty and Associates advisor and former Clinton administration official. You're live, Steve. Go for it. Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> and, and great to be on your first show. <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, sometimes my fingers just don't move as quickly as they should in the morning. This panel's got about 26 buttons on it. So anyway, uh, Steve, you know, you're coming on for our International News Week in review, as you often do uh, with myself and with Jason Dacey before me. It's been another crazy week in Newsland. We have had, uh, well, a lot of things going on. Let's start, though, with the G20 summit and what was expected to happen, what really happened, and now that we're sort of a few days after it, what we think is going to happen in the future. Well, I think the, the G20, depressingly, has shown that for at least the next year or so, the age of multilateral rules-based system does not exist anymore. Now it's all about personal relationships. It's about the bilateral. So it was about Trump and Xi, and then mm. afterwards, you know, Trump and Kim, and then um, and, and Trump and Putin. So it's all about bilateral and not multilateral, not rules-based. And that's that's not good for for certainly, you know, those of us doing business in Singapore and Southeast Asia. I read a, a one commentary that said, the G20 summit may be remembered in history as the moment the global rules-based order was lost. Well, is that too strong? I, I hope it's too strong. <laughs> I, mean, I hope it's more like it was on a pause for another year and a half. Uh, and that, look, whether the Democrats take over the White House or President Trump comes in, that either the U.S. will recognize it should come back to the uh, 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 rules-based you know, multi-party system, or that you're going to see Japan and Singapore and Australia and New Zealand band together uh, as they they did with the keeping the TPP mm. alive mm. is hopefully our step will go forward that, that, that we'll find a, a viable alternative to either a U.S. led system or a Chinese led system. How tough was that for Japan to try to wrangle the G20 summit and, and, and Prime Minister Abe actually have something meaningful come out of it? Because frankly, a lot of people are saying, eh, kind of a nothing burger in terms of, you know, concrete uh, actions. Well, I mean, I, I do think it laid forth the G20 what needs to get done going forward, that we need the, uh, you know, multilateral system when it comes to trade, when it comes to sustainability, when it comes to the environment, when it comes to plastics. So all of those issues were laid forth. No one really expected any, you know, breakthrough concrete decisions at the G20. That's not what it's there for. It's not what a forum like APEC mm. is there for. It's really a, it, you, some people call it a talk shop and it might be a talk shop, but it's a talk shop where concrete things could come out of it. And maybe that's what's going to happen. So I'm not as pessimistic as, as, as the <laughs> statement you read, but it's not great. But isn't that kind of the problem with a lot of these? And, and you, you look at all of these different forum that happen over the course of a year and there's too much talking going on and not enough action happening and nothing is binding that comes out of it. So at the end of the day, people aspire to all these wonderful ideals or, or notions, plans, and yet, really, you know, a year later from now, we're going to be sitting here and what are we going to be saying? Did anything change? Did anyone sign on to anything? Did anybody decide to use less practice, plastics and mandate it? You know, cynical side of me says, we've seen this a lot. Yeah, and I don't get the more optimist side of me, right? <laughs> well, say, but if you look at, you know, APEC, and you could say, look, APEC has been around for 20 years, you know, the, the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation yeah. Council, uh, which has, you know, obviously the U.S. and China and Russia, uh, you know, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, you say nothing has really come out of APEC, but TPP was born in APEC. Mm -hmm. It happens on the sidelines of APEC. And so it's where you can bring like-minded countries together to make a difference. The problem is that you certainly, with, with 
with Donald Trump and you could argue with 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 President Xi and you could argue with others. We don't have like minded countries yeah. anymore. Yeah. Now it's all about America first yeah. or China first or while India is not a part of APEC, you know, India, you know, with, with make in India. Yeah. Now it's also center focused. And that's what we've got to get away from. Well, when we think about, you know, the micro view here in Singapore, all of these decisions or non-decisions have huge impact on Singapore's economy and with all the companies that are based here that are trying to do regional and global business and and just the nature of the the oil business here, the banking business here, the trade business here. You know, a lot of this has or has the potential to really impact Singapore's local economy. No, and it does, and, and it is. I mean, certainly there are impacts of the U.S.-China trade war that are impacting Singapore's economy, either directly or indirectly. You know, GIC just came out and said its investments are going to are starting to get hit yeah. by the trade war, and that affects you know Singapore's economy. It affects right. you know it affects Singapore citizens. So certainly the impacts are being felt here, and that's why Singapore. Well, I mean, you know, for its size, I mean, it really you know punches above above its weight class, and it tries to make the TPP go forward. It's working hard to get, you know, the regional comprehensive economic partnership of which is kind of ASEAN plus six to new, move forward. And then maybe you bring the EU, right, or the UK into if, if Brexit ever happens, yeah. another another mess, right, I'm, <laughs> well, uh, right? Uh, to go forward. So Singapore is trying to do things. It is having some success, but it has got to be prepared um, to get hit by the trade war. And that's what Prime Minister Lee talked about after the G20. Listening to Money FM, our international news week in review. Glenn Van Zutphen here with Steve Oaken from McClarty and Associates here in the studio. Steve, let's move on. Uh, is there much to say about the U.S.-China trade discussion uh, following the G20, or is whatever's been said going to be said? <laughs> oh no, no, it, 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 it's the beginning now. And the question is, okay, now they're talking. Is again. it the beginning of the end or the end it, of the well, beginning? It, it, or it could be both. Look, it could be both. It could be the end of these tariffs but it could be the beginning of a long, drawn-out trade war. So I, I'll say it's going to be both. The question is, now that they're talking again, yeah. which is a good thing, and now that these $300 billion in tariffs are on hold uh, for now, which, which President Trump had threatened, which is a good thing for mm. the global economy, yep. the question is, can we get to a win-win? And this is what President Trump has to decide. He has to decide whether he is going to give President Xi a way to claim that this is an equitable, balanced trade agreement. Now, President Trump's view, and there's a lot to be said for, for, for the foundation of his view, is that the Chinese have engaged in cyber theft. They've engaged in forced technology transfers. They've engaged in unfair trade practices for a decade. And we have to do something about it. And the way I choose is, as he calls himself, I'm going to be tariff man, right? Yeah. And tariff man uses nothing but tariffs right. to, to punish the Chinese. Hmm. There's no way the Chinese are going to accept a deal where they say, we're wrong, we're wrong, we're wrong, we're wrong and now we're going to um, uh, act Yes, and then you're going to take the tariffs down. There has to be some way to get to a win-win. Mm. President Trump hasn't shown any ability to negotiate a win-win with, with an equal. He couldn't do it with Nancy Pelosi or any <laughs> come to the government shutdown. Right. He can't do it with – he hasn't been able to do it with President Xi yet. Now, when he's got a stronger hand to play, like with Mexico, Canada, or Korea, it becomes much easier for him. Yeah. So we'll have to see. Steve, uh, let's close off this segment with the the DMZ and the the moment that uh, kind of caught everybody by surprise, including, I'm sure, a lot of staffers in the White House. Uh, uh, <laughs> but the handshake, President Trump going to the DMZ, 
inviting Kim to meet him, and he did, and they shook hands, and they had a chat. What is this, uh, this going to mean? Because we are still wondering what actually came out of the June summit one year ago here in Singapore between North Korea and the U.S. I mean, the question is, what does, what does the U.S. want? If the U.S. wants what used to be called, right, complete, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization, CVID, yep. there doesn't seem to be that we're any closer to that. And President Trump gave up a lot by going to the to, to North Korea. Let's, let's talk about that a little because that, that has been a, a statement that a lot of people said. The administration gave up this bargaining chip, if you will, the face-to-face meeting. How important is that chip, was that chip? And was there some actually good that just came out of these two guys at least meeting each other and shaking hands? Okay, well, so what does Kim get out of having the U.S. president come to North Korea, mm. a country that we are technically still at war with, yeah. South Korea, North Korea technically still right at war, so he gets the U.S. president to go to North Korea. It's a huge win for him with his, you know, with his with his people yeah. to be able to show I got Donald Trump to come to North Korea. Mm. I didn't have to give up anything <laughs> for it. That's yeah. a huge win for Kim Jong Un with his own domestic politics. And there's domestic politics everywhere. So it's a, he gave he gave up nothing for it. So the Trump gave him a victory and got nothing in return. He could have gotten back to the table without having to go to North Korea. And so. The question is, are we closer to, to any type of agreement than we were in Singapore? The answer is no, if the U.S. is insisting on, you know, as I said, CVID, denuclearization. If the U.S. is willing to accept a freeze, mm. then sure, you could get to that deal. But is Japan going to like a deal where there's intermediate range missiles with, with nukes on them that can hit Japan? Absolutely not. So we could be much worse off with a deal that is a freeze as opposed to one that is denuclearization. So I think in a way he may have destabilized North Asia more by going to the DMZ and getting nothing in return. Steve Oka and McClarty and Associates, our International News Week in Review. Thanks for being with us. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.